I'm going to start this morning a little bit differently than I usually do, and I'm going to go ahead and read for you um, the two primary texts that I'm going to be preaching from today. So the first is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, and I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. When you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to help those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. This next passage is from Psalm chapter 80. I'll read verses 1 through 7 and then verses 17 through 19. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who led Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim. Benjamin and Manasseh, awake your might. Come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man. You have risen up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. This is the word of God. So what do you do when God seems to be silent? How do you live when you cannot hear his voice or feel his presence? What should you believe when it feels like God has removed his favor from you? These are the questions that I want us to wrestle with this morning. If you can bow your head and pray with me. Dear God, Lord, we come before you and we ask that you would speak now, for we, your children, are listening. God, I pray that you would take the words that are on this paper and you would communicate the deep truths that you wish to reveal to each and every person that is seated here. I decrease now, Lord, and I pray that you would increase. 
In Jesus' name, amen. All right. <laughs> so the text for this morning um, come from the Common Lectionary. How many people know what that is? All right. Awesome. <laughs> so for all of you who don't know what that is, it's basically a collection of scriptures. And this, these are scriptures that are um, put together and they sort of follow the Christian calendar. So if you went to, grew up in a church that followed the liturgical calendar, um, you might not know the word that I just said, but you kind of know what this is, right? Your pastor probably got his or her text from this book. And so we are going to, to look at this as we are in this season of Advent and figure out what God has to say to us. As Pastor David said, today marks the first day of Advent. And the underlying theme in the two passages that you heard, because again, all of the passages from um, today have a theme that's sort of similar. So you might have heard this idea of longing, of desperation, of God save us, God rescue us. This is the underlying theme. And it's very fitting, right, as we are in this first day of Advent, this idea of crying out to God, God save us. Because remember, this is the in-between. We're waiting for the Messiah to come. Now, if you are like me, Advent has very little meaning for you. <laughs> I didn't grow up in church, let alone a church that celebrated Advent. So I didn't know what this was. When I became a Christian, the Christian holidays that I knew of were Christmas, Easter. I'm pretty sure early on I figured out Good Friday and maybe Palm Sunday. Maybe Palm Sunday. <laughs> I just didn't grow up in, in a, I didn't go to churches that really involved themselves in these kind of things. But as I've been at New Community and um, at the college that I went to, Advent got talked about and Advent got celebrated, and I have come to appreciate Advent. I think Christmas invites us to um, celebrate the joy and the promise that God has for us, right? It reminds us that God has blessed us in a wonderful way, that he has given us a tremendous, awesome gift. Good Friday invites us to mourn and to grieve. It reminds us that being Christian does not protect you from hurt, from loss, from suffering. And then Easter invites us to be hopeful and to know that God is always with us and that God always conquers. God is all-powerful. And I think that Advent invites us to rest in that hard place, that place when you don't quite hear God the way you want to hear him, or feel God the way you need to feel him. It invites us to sit in that tension of a Messiah who has not yet come again. <laughs> so we are going to wrestle with these questions. What do you do when you can't hear the voice of God? How do you live when you don't feel his presence? What do you believe when you feel that his favor has been taken from you. Advent represents a time before the birth of Jesus, this vast span of time between the promise of a Messiah and the birth of the Messiah. It represents a time of uncertainty. In the church, this is celebrated as a season of waiting and preparation, waiting for the promised Messiah, waiting for God to speak, 
waiting for God to move, to show himself. So I think one thing that we miss when we read our Bibles, the way that we read them, how many folk have read the Bible cover to cover? Any? Okay, okay, couple, couple folk, that's all right, that's all right. I want to encourage all y'all to go ahead and try to do that before you leave the earth. But yes, so even if you have not read the Bible from cover to cover, if you've been in the church long enough, you've probably encountered a whole lot of Scripture. And we kind of flip from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the New Testament to the Old Testament, and we have our little taste-specific Bibles. And I just got my daughter a Bible that has a little butterfly on it, and it's pink because she likes pink, right? You know, we have our iPhones, and we can just scroll up and down. And I think something that is lost in that is time, the vast expanse of time that these scriptures cover. We go from the last verse of Malachi to the first verse of Matthew, and it's like, all right, yeah, there was a page. (laughs) There were 400 years between the last (laughs) verse of Malachi and the first verse of Matthew. And the entirety of scripture spans hundreds and hundreds and hundreds over a thousand years. This is a lot of time that was captured, that was there. And during those times, Although we often look at our Old Testament, you know, ancestors and we think, man, they had it good. You know, God was just pointing up in clouds and in bushes and, like, sending folk who could say, like, with, you know, certainty, thus saith the Lord. Like, you know, you might have heard some thus saith the Lord's in your lifetime, but it wasn't like when Isaiah said thus saith the Lord, right? These people experienced God in ways that we can't even imagine. But this was a vast span of time. In the middle of burning bushes and pillars of fire, there were times when God seemed to be silent. There were times when the people, much like all of us, were desperate to hear, to see, to feel. I think that this um, is what we see in the book of Isaiah. This desperation to hear, to see God come, God speak. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. See, when these words were written, the people were in exile. The Assyrians had conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, and people felt abandoned by God. And their situation had left them feeling a deep need to cry out to the Lord. They were very keenly aware that they needed a Savior, that they needed to be rescued. They were again reminded of their desperate need for God. And see, this was the sort of ebb and flow that they went through, right? There would be times of prosperity, and everything would be good, and then they'd run off and do something stupid. And then God, you know, would allow them to experience the consequences of that stupid act. And then they'd be in this place saying, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, once again, save us. This happened. And they would feel like God had left them, had turned away from them. There were moments when there was silence. And in those moments of silence, the people were experiencing the consequences of their sin. And I guarantee you, they knew they needed God. Over and over and over again, this cycle repeats itself. And in the in-between times, in the spaces where the people felt God had abandoned them, they were aware of two things. One, that they were wicked, 
And you see that in books like Isaiah. You see that in the Psalms, in the Lamentations. They knew their condition. And they were aware that they were in desperate need of a Savior. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to help those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Even our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are your people. Over and over and over again, this cycle repeated itself. And then one day, there was a change. See, after the nation of Israel was delivered from the Assyrians, so I said they were in, um, in exile at this time, they had been conquered by the Assyrians. So eventually, you know, as happens, the Assyrians fell and the Persians rose up. And things were kind of good under the Persians, Right? The Persians allowed the children of Israel to practice their religion, to practice their culture. They were experiencing a monicum of peace. Things felt all right. But that was relatively short-lived. Well, a hundred years or so. (laughs) Relatively in the span of history. (laughs) That was short-lived because after the Persians came someone else, other rulers, other kings, who did not allow the children of Israel to practice their ways. Over and over again, for hundreds and hundreds of years, the children of Israel found themselves in this position where they were exiled, they were scattered, they were experiencing violence, they were experiencing war, they were experiencing hunger, they were experiencing things that, sure, you might think they had experienced in the past, but here's the difference. There was no Isaiah coming to tell them, hey, let's get it together. You turn to God and he's going to return to you. They didn't have the Jeremiah. They didn't have the voice of the Lord. There was a 400-year span where there was silence. And in the midst of that 400-year span, these people of God experienced turmoil. They experienced strife. They experienced the feeling of being truly desperate for a Savior. They found themselves experiencing decades, centuries of war, of violence, of displacement, only to end up under the rule of the Romans. And this was a nation that taxed them heavily and basically relegated them to second-class citizens in this empire. But again, unlike the past, God seemed silent. What should you believe when it feels like the very favor of God has been lifted from your life? When you don't hear God the way you need to, when you don't feel his presence 
the way you want to. In this span of time that I have outlined, this period of 400 years, when it seemed that nothing could go right for the nation of Israel, the Jewish um, people were not receiving scripture. There's no scripture that was written during this time. And this doesn't mean that God wasn't, you know, maybe speaking to individuals. I mean, if you remember from the book of Luke, Mary's cousin Anna was called a prophetess. But again, she wasn't a prophet like Isaiah. There was silence in that regard. And I'm sure that during this time, the people cried out to God, but unlike before, they didn't receive the remedy that they were used to receiving. What do you do when God seems silent? It was during this time that we see the emergence of two groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and we know about them. And these groups are important because I think they represent two responses to God's silence. See, the people had kind of gotten used to God's silence. After 400 years, by the time Jesus is about to come on the scene, there wasn't anyone living who remotely remembered a time when God appeared in a burning bush. The only thing that they had were the stories that had been passed on to them, and that is what they clung to. But these weren't the people who were seeing God in pillars of fire anymore. What do you do when you do not hear? See, we often think of them as being so much luckier than us, right? Because they got to experience God in these powerful ways. And some of us will say that maybe it was a wash. You know, they, they got to see God in a pillar of fire, but we got Jesus, right? We get to approach God in a way that they couldn't imagine. I think they kind of had it the worst. <laughs> I'm just going to go for that. that. That span of 400 years, I'm going to say that was the worst, right? Because there's no Messiah yet, right? They can't, they can't be like, I know there's a God in heaven and he loves me. He died for me. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> but there's no burning bush. There's no pillar of fire. There's no prophet that can come and be the very mouthpiece of God. This is a time when the people are kind of trying to figure it out for themselves. And the way they figure it out gives us the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So what are they? The Pharisees are a group of people who basically their response was that they created religion for themselves. They said, not only are we going to honor the law of God, but we're going to create our own laws. And they had regulations, they had routines, things that God had not given to Moses, all of these systems in place to try to make sure everybody did what they were supposed to do, when they were supposed to do it, the way they were supposed to do it. They became hyper-religious. And then you get the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a little bit different. The Sadducees rejected anything but the five books of the Bible attributed to Moses, the Pentateuch. All they acknowledged was the law. And while the Pharisees were extremely religious and hyper, you know, like, get it together, do it right, the Sadducees were much more um, enticed by Greek culture. They found it appealing, and they sort of delved into it. These were your aristocrats. They envied their Greek ruler. They wanted to be like them. So both of these groups, in a sense, became entrenched in a form of religion, but that form was different. The Messiah, something that had been talked about in their tradition, the Messiah became not a thing, not a person to be hoped for, to desperately desire, but something to be debated in the town square, to be discussed on an intellectual level. No one necessarily 
I don't think, believed this thing was actually going to happen. Not in their lifetime. Can anybody relate? (laughs) We know Jesus is coming back, right? But do you really believe that Jesus is coming back, like, for real? Do you really believe that one day you might be driving your car and be like, oh, Lord God, (laughs) he's returned. It's hard to fathom, right? And I think that that's kind of where the Pharisees, where the Sadducees were. This was something that you just sort of talked about. What do you do? What do you believe when God seems silent? What do you do? What do you get lost in to distract you from that silence? I want to read for you again Psalm 81 and seven. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who led Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awake your might. Come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we might be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors. And our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we might be saved. See, in this psalm, we hear desperation, right? We see a people begging for the Lord to draw nigh, to send a Savior, to rescue them, to speak. Here we see a people longing for what they know they are lacking, a Savior. And I submit to you that this is what we sound like in brief moments of despair. When things are difficult in our lives, we cry out to God to deliver us, to rescue us. And in most seasons, We hear, we feel, we see something. But what happens when you are in a season of dryness? What do you do when it seems that God is not speaking? When your cries seem to have gone unanswered for much longer than you care to remember, what do you do when you are dry? When it seems as though God has removed his favor, what do you believe? What do you cling to? See, I think that the season of Advent invites us to camp out in that place. It invites us to live in this dry space and to be honest about who we are in those times. When we're no longer desperate. When it's been silent so long that we've stopped crying out. I think that many of us are probably in this arid space. And many of us, when in those spaces, respond much like the Pharisees or the Sadducees. The Pharisees among us are those who become super Christians in dry times, on the outside. Often their walks don't look that different from when they are experiencing God in his fullness. We continue going to church. We continue serving. We continue doing all the right things. We look like it's going on. And what happens is that our service becomes religion. 
and that religion becomes the thing we need to distract us from the fact that we don't hear God, that we haven't gotten the answer. Religion itself becomes the thing that keeps us from God. Religion becomes the thing that keeps us from having to wrestle with it, from having to be uncomfortable. Maybe if I just keep going, things will change. If I just keep going, I won't have to think about it. If I just keep going, maybe, maybe God will move. The Sadducees among us are a little bit different. Those of us who are the Sadducees, see, we turn to culture. We grab hold of the bare bones of our faith. Yes, Jesus loves me. He died for me. That I believe. But for the most part, we do everything we can to distract ourselves. We're the ones who watch as much TV as we can. We surf the web as often as we can. We listen to music as often as we can. We do everything that we can to avoid silence. (laughs) Because if we have to sit in the silence, we have to acknowledge that it's actually silence. If we have to sit in the silence, if I can't get online and look at YouTube, I am confessing. If I can't get online and watch some YouTube videos, then I have to deal with the fact that I've been crying out and I haven't heard anything and I'm so tired that I'm not even crying out anymore. God, I know you love me. God, I know you're there. Your word says you're there. Let me see what's on TV. If I am honest with you, I have to say that that is a space that I am all too familiar with. There are some areas in my life where I desperately need to hear a word from God, and I have desperately needed to hear that word from God for a long time, and I have not heard that word from God. I have found myself in the last few months, and I'm going to say few months because I'm not going to tell you how long it's really been. I have found myself in the last few months watching more TV than I have probably watched in my entire life. I am on the computer all the time. I have filled all of my downtime. Whenever I have a moment when people are napping and I could be doing something else, I should be doing something else. Lord knows I have many things that I ought to be doing. I filled the silence with as much noise as I possibly can. Mindless noise. Mindless noise. Anything to keep me from having to deal with the fact that there is silence right now. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Let me tell you that this sermon this morning was almost not a sermon this morning. I have never experienced anything like this. And as I was sitting here and the worship team was singing, um, thank God, the Lord spoke to me and revealed something about what this experience was for. See, I've shared this in the past with you. Usually the way things happen when I'm going to prepare a sermon is that I will read the text and throughout the week things will happen. God will do things that like maybe two days later make it really plain like, ah, that's what that, ah, I see. That works for the sermon. As I'm writing the sermon, it'll come to me, these, uh, these moments where God was speaking or moving, and it's some kind of illustration. And I might not use it in the sermon, but it reminds me that, you know, okay, yep, I'm on the right track. That's what God was showing me. Not this week, not last week. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I'm reading the texts anytime, Lord. <laughs> 
I do actually have to preach, Lord. I mean, I recognize that there's some areas where you're not speaking, but I kind of do need you to speak in this area because people are going to be there on Sunday in the morning and they want to hear something. I told Pastor David this morning that I I almost called him at midnight to say, "Um, do you think we might be able to have people share again like last Sunday? (laughs) Because it ain't working. (laughs) And as I was sitting here and the worship team was singing, God spoke to me it's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's uncomfortable. Those silent times when you can't feel them, when you can't hear them, it's uncomfortable because we want to be people who live, who move, who have our being in the Lord. I want to be the kind of person who takes steps and lets my path be directed by God. So what do you do when you can't hear him? Well, how do I, go, how do I move, God? You're not speaking, but this decision still has to be made. I can't hear you, but I have to give an answer. What do I do, God? It's uncomfortable. And so to get out of that, we try to fill it. To get out of that, I try to fill it with whatever I can. And then we have these moments of crisis where, you know what? YouTube wasn't going to give me a sermon. It just wasn't going to (laughs) happen. That would not work. What do we do? in those spaces. I think that the beauty of this season is that it reminds us that God is actually always at work. Even when we don't feel him, see him, hear him, he is always at work. The events that happened over that span of 400 years to the nation of Israel, those 400 years set the stage for the coming of the Messiah. Those 400 years set the stage for the historical moment when Jesus Christ could be born and a faith could be born that would spread throughout the entire world, such that 2,000 some odd years later, we are here professing that faith. God was always at work. God is always at work. If you haven't heard him in a long time, know this, God is at work, and not just at work. God is at work on your behalf. There are some things that God is doing in you right now, and this space of silence is necessary. We need to allow ourselves to just live in it. Live in it. And Advent invites us to do that. Live in it. Be uncomfortable. As the season of Advent invites us to prepare our hearts for the coming King, it reminds us that God is never, never absent. The Messiah, God with us, has come. The Messiah, God with us, will come again. So what do you do when God is silent? You trust that in all things, God is working together for your good. How do you live when you cannot feel God's presence in your life? You live as one who has hope and a future, trusting that the Lord your God will never leave you nor forsake you. What should you believe when it feels like God has removed his favor from you? You believe that surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. See, I think this is what Paul is talking about when he tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, 
to therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after having done all that you can to stand. In dry times, the devil will try to convince you that you are alone, that you are forsaken, that you have somehow fallen from grace. And in these times, you need to stand in the truth that God is your father. You must stand on the word of God and know that God is with you, that the Messiah has come, that God is returning. Um, Whenever I prepare a sermon, um, I always hope, I pray, I imagine that people will walk away from the sermon feeling different than they were when they walked in. I believe that's something I know that we say a lot, like, you know, maybe we don't say, I say it a lot, right? I pray it a lot. Lord, let people walk from this place different than when they came in. I believe that with all my heart. I truly believe that whenever the people of God gather together to worship him, when the word goes forth, I believe the word is powerful, that the Holy Spirit is able to change and transform. And so I think every single Sunday when I leave this place, something has happened in my life. I am transformed. I believe that with everything that is in me. And so when I prepare my sermons, I try to imagine, hope, pray for the thing that I want people who might be experiencing, the thing that I'm talking about to to go away with. Um, But here's the thing. (laughs) If you are in a dry space on this morning, as much as I would love to say, we're going to worship God at the end, I'm going to give you a benediction, go forth, and you're going to hear him this week. Hallelujah. I cannot. (laughs) I cannot promise you that your dry space is going to be anything other than a dry space when you walk out of here. God may not answer the question that you have been crying out for him to answer. It may very well not be the season just yet. So on this Sunday, as much as I would love to encourage myself and say (laughs) that when I leave this place, I'm going to be different. Well, I will be different, but not in the way that I might want to be different. I can't promise that God is going to move, that God is going to speak, that God is going to answer the way I want him to answer. But I hope that you leave encouraged. If nothing else, you may feel the same dryness that you felt, but I hope that you are reminded to stand. You may feel the same silence that you have been feeling, but I hope that you are reminded that God is actually present despite what you feel. And you might feel that thing for a while, but that does not change the truth that God is present, that God is working. The Messiah has come. The Messiah will come again. Advent allows us to be uncomfortable. And I want to encourage you today to go ahead and be uncomfortable. I want to encourage me today to go ahead and be uncomfortable. See, inasmuch as the season of Advent reminds us that the Messiah is coming, It invites us to live in that hard place before he gets here. To live in the tension of not seeing, not feeling, but knowing anyway. I shared at the start of um, this uh, sermon that the text for today came from the common lectionary. And so, well, I have written here, as some of you may know, but I don't think any of you know, because no one raised their hand when I asked the question. 
in the common lectionary, there's typically four readings. You get um, an Old Testament reading, often from the Pentateuch. You get something from the Psalms or the Proverbs. You get a New Testament reading from the Gospel, and you get something from the Epistles. Um, and so the readings that I chose today were obviously the Old Testament and the Psalm. Not that the Psalms are not in the Old Testament. Y'all know what I mean. Um, but I want to share with you the New Testament text as well. Because I think that, uh, that this is the thing. That if you can't take anything else away, if you are in this space, this is what I want you to hold on to. This is what I hope that you will hold on to. Um, like I said, I can't promise you that you'll walk away from here and no longer experience dryness. I can't promise you that if I invite you up to come to the altar that the Lord is going to speak or move in a different way. But in this season in your life, you must trust that God is working on your behalf. And I think that Paul's words should encourage you. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 9 read, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful, and he will keep you firm to the end. See, it was uncomfortable at midnight, at two in the morning, at three in the morning, to not have a firm handle on what I was going to say. And when we're uncomfortable, we like to run from it. But what God revealed to me in that time of worship is, look, I was present. You may not have heard what you wanted to hear the way you usually hear, but I was present. It may not have happened the way it normally happens. It may not have felt the way it normally felt, but I was speaking. You don't have to fear that in these moments when you are desperately seeking God for an answer and he hasn't spoken, that you're going to make the wrong decision. Oh Lord, which way will I go? Know that God will keep you. Know that your desire to do right, to walk in his will, to hear his voice, he that, and he will keep you firm to the end. You don't have to fear when it is uncomfortable. So you don't have to run. The worship team um, can go ahead and come forward. And as they play and as we sing this song of response, I invite you to just chew on that. Even if I can't hear you, Lord, even if I can't feel you, Lord, if I can't see how you are moving in my life, if it is uncomfortable, I will trust that you are speaking, that you are moving, that you
that you are with me, that you love me, and that you are working for my good. Amen.